What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is writer, poet, educator, and executive director of the world-renowned Youth Speaks, the one and only Michelle Mush Lee. What's up, Michelle? Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. It's an honor. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, Mush, I want to start with a bit about you and specifically where and how you grew up. What was your family like? Yeah, Um Hello to all the listeners. Um, we all love Cap Brooks, so just have to start with that. My name is Mush. I'm um, I'm a Bay Area, San Francisco, born and raised baby. I'm a Bay Area girl through and through. Although I've been in Oakland for the last twenty god twenty plus years, I'm still young. I'm still young, but I've uh, I've been in the town for a while now. My I'm a first generation Korean American immigrant. My parents are from South Korea once Chosan before it was divided. Um, so first generation in 30 years to be born outside of our ancestral land. Uh, first place my parents came to is San Francisco. And so my grandparents uh, died and spent all of their life in the tenderloin on Eddie and Polk. So shout out to the corner of Eddie and Polk. Um, so, you know, as a young person, I, I heard and I saw and was shaped by a lot of the experiences of, you know, San Francisco. Um, moved to a small suburb, an ethnoburb, a lot of Vietnamese, Filipino, Mexican immigrant families, uh, 20 minutes north of here called Hercules. So shout out H-Town. Um, and then my parents had a lot of small businesses since the 80s in Oakland. So my first job was uh, in North Oakland at the Korean Community Cultural Center as a youth cultural ambassador. So I share all of these three locations. Most children of immigrant families uh, were raised in multiple places. So as an artist and as a poet, each of these environments really shaped the way that I understood myself in the world um, and, you know, uh, shaped a lot of my writing and my thinking about the power of artists and the power of uh, building across communities and, and creating bridges through my art. And and when did you start writing Mush? And were were your the first words you put down to paper um, poetry or prose or what? Definitely not. I'm not that good of an artist. I did not start. Stop. I did not, up, I did not grow up writing poetry. I did not grow up in that life. I will tell you a funny story later, but. I always, you know, people like to ask me that as they should, most artists, you know, where are your inspirations or your kind of formative experiences? And my experiences in the church, my grandfather on my father's side uh, is a Presbyterian pastor. And so, you know, he, he and his wife, they lived and died in the Tenderloin. And that's where uh, those are the two people that raised me first. And so a lot of my time as a small, small kid before school was spent in pews and um, and kind of at his ankles and at the kitchen table, watching him write, 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 read scripture, read, 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 highlight, underline. And so my first kind of experience with poetry was really through the oral tradition and speaking and, and the call and response that happens. Yes, even in a Korean immigrant monolingual um, church environment. So a lot of that, I, I and then I, I, when I was four and a half, he had this fabulous idea of entering me into a singing competition. I don't know why. Saw something in me. He said, this little girl can get on a stage. And and I was like the youngest contestant. And I think 
I, I did a good job, I think, but they were impressed that a small, young Asian girl um, could command a stage at that young. So poetry was not my first. I, I did a lot of diary writing, journal writing. You know, I, I filled up maybe 20 diaries, but I never considered myself a poet. That was not how I identified at all. But I loved public speaking and I loved uh, wonderful orators. I love listening to people who could speak well and command a room with their words. And that was probably my first, the first time I fell in love with language. So tell us then, Michelle Mushley, when you made the jump from just loving the word and, and loving to, to be a public speaker to being the dope poet that you are. That you're too kind. Um, I'm, I'm not. It's so it's so real. And I'm actually I'm gonna interrupt you because I remember and I got trauma brain, so it is Swiss cheese brain for sure. <laughs> and I remember so vividly. I remember you were what you were wearing. You were wearing all white, and we were at uh, a park mm-hmm. in Oakland's Chinatown, mm-hmm. and we were there. Um, under not great circumstances, right? We were there because the community was calling attention to the violence that had started to escalate and spike uh, against our API relatives. Mm. And they brought you, I not heard your name, but like you came into my Oakland life a little later mm. um, and you got up there and spit and like, I'm getting tears now. And I remember what, listening to you and watching your fire with tears in my eyes. And I was like, I have to know who this woman is. And I set out um, a little bit stalking you uh, <laughs> after that. So it's actually not an accident that you're in my life to the degree you are. So um, Mush will spit for the people in a bit, but I just, I, I got to stop the, the, I'm not all that. Cause you are all of that. And then some. I appreciate that so much, especially coming from a fellow playwright and artist. So that's the highest compliment to hear that from a fellow poet and writer. So thank you, Kat. Indeed. I think I made the jump when I was, it was a month after my 20th birthday. So I was 19 years old. I was studying in the West Indies. I needed to get, you know, I was going through a, a lot of depression. I was in my college years living alone for the first time. It was 03. And Bush had just invaded Iraq and there were lots of protests, but I was far from home, but I was reading the headlines. I was out studying alone. I knew that I loved writing, but there was something that happened in me being away from the comfort of my friends, family, people to be able to kind of spitball ideas back and forth with to figure out where I felt about this kind of global war and issue that was transpiring back home. And something happened and I took to... the. I just took to writing. I, I studied, I, I listened to poets on Suher Hamad, Denizen Kane, um, Jessica Kerr Moore, lots of poets that were doing, you know, Maida Devaye, shout out Maida Devaye from, you know, Southside Chicago, lots of poets who were doing spoken word. And there was a mechanism and, and a way for me to kind of learn and study. And it just spoke to me. It was probably my grandpa listening to him and Something about the oral poetic really spoke to me. And so I started writing and it was a terrible, like it probably wasn't as bad as I think it was. I thought it was pretty awful, but I wrote my first poem and I read it at a women's open mic over at the University of West Indies, Barbados. A couple of people came up and said, wow, that's well, that was good. You should keep doing that. So as soon as I came back home a few months later, I found an organization. I went on every single open mic that said free. My best friend mm. pulled out her Ford Explorer and nobody, none of my friend group are artists or, or identify as artists. 
And I just said, take me to any place that will have me spit for free. So that started the journey. Eventually, I came across Youth Speaks. They had a program that still exists today. It's called the Under 21 Open Mic. And I just made the cut because I was 20. I got on a mic and I said something to the effect of like, you know, screw Bush and his white supremacist regime. Something, something. <laughs> I'm a proud Asian woman. You can't take me down. Something like that. And probably <laughs> in that cadence, cat. It was probably like just, you know, I was emulating the sisters from the block. I, I was emulating what I had heard, but words that felt true to me. And so that was my entry. And from there, it just... Uh, I don't know how to say it. Any poet knows the minute you share your story with a room full of other poets, you're going to get love, no matter how great or bad the poem is. And that's where I was received. And that's where I probably got my little badge as uh, for the first time in my life as a a 20 year old in San Francisco, California. The community said, you are a poet. You're one of us now. And that's how it started. I love that story. And and y'all, you can hear more of uh, Musha's stories about being an early poet on the Youth Speaks website. There's an awesome video uh, there from 2015, which had me uh, in stitches. Um, Cause I, I think all poets can re- relate to that too, right? Like the, the things that were coming out of our mouths 20 plus years ago that we thought was so smart and brilliant and uh, deep, so deep. We were so deep. Um, you know what, Mush, I've always, I, I, this is actually something that I've always want to ask you. Where'd the nickname Mush come from? Oh, it's so not that interesting, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I uh, So my name is Michelle Yunhee Lee. Yunhee is my Korean name. Michelle is my government name, family name Lee. When I was 12, I have a small group of best friends that I grew up with. You know, we were really young from the time we were five. My best friend, Marie, her older sister, her name is Michelle. And at the time, she had a boyfriend who gave her the pet name Mush. I don't know where it came from. It was not very inventive, but it was kind of a weird name. And all my friends use it to make fun of me because, you know, I shared the same name. So they said, we're going to start calling you Mush. I was like, please don't. They said, we're going (laughs) to end And I, you know, I just surrendered. I was like, whatever. And, you know, we were like 11, 12 at the time. By the time I graduated senior year of high school, my principal, my teachers, everybody was calling me Mush. And so people think that it's like a, a poetry name, which I've never had. It's just a name that I hated. And my friends used it to make fun of me. And it, it, it just, it it's stuck. So I love it. It's the name that I introduced myself. It's the name that, you know, if, if, if I want to answer with my heart, I'll tell you my name is Mush. Cause that's all the people that I love and who love me um, most fiercely know me as Mush. So that's how that mm. came to be. All right. Going back to You Speaks, for you are now the executive director of yes, You Speaks. Uh, for folks who may not be up on game, tell us about the amazing program that is. Uh, thank, you, thank you yeah. for highlighting um, Youth Speaks. We are an organization that's celebrating our 26th year. Uh, this year started in the Mission District of San Francisco in 1996. Uh, still in the Mission District, about half a block away uh, from where we started. Um, we are an organization that supports young people to help them find, develop, apply, and present their voices as agents of change. We work in the school setting, we work in the after school setting, we create kind of dignifying spaces for writers and poets uh, here at home, but we are also a national organization that creates platforms at the Kennedy Center, um, at you know fabulous theaters and venues across the country. 
um, to try to make sure that young artists of color, young poets of color have a platform to be dignified and for their stories to be heard. And I, I know it seems like such a, a, a basic question, but I, I think it's important. Why does that matter? Talk about the intersection of poetry, young people, and interrupting systems of oppression. Well, um, thank you for asking that. Be I think, you know, some people might disagree with this statement, which is fine. And I've spent enough years really kind of wrestling with it. But I think young people across the globe are probably one of the most impacted by systems of oppression, um, whether it's, you know, not having access to uh, the legal vote or kind of civic platforms where decisions can be made, um, or whether just being overlooked and having misperceptions, especially young uh, poets of color. So I'm talking about refugee poets. I'm talking about undocumented youth. I'm talking about Black, Brown, Indigenous Pacific Island or Asian youth, even working class white youth, um, they're, you know, they think, oh, you know, you'll understand things when you're older or, oh, you're not grown enough yet to understand uh, the conversations that the adults are having at the adult table. Um, And any youth worker, any educator, any parent that's present will know that our children are incredibly wise, incredibly wise in ways that adults have forgotten to be wise. They're compassionate. They're intuitive. Um, they have an innate sense of right and wrong um, and of collaboration. And I feel like those are the, the values that, at least in the circle of artists that I get to serve and work with, those are the values that we strive for when we talk about what happens on the other side of an unjust world. There are values of love, radical love, true values of collaboration, cooperation, harmony, um, economic justice and viability, all of those things. And, and that exists um, inherently with young people. So how do we preserve that? How do we protect spaces for them to not forget that? And most importantly, how do we kind of make sure that we as adults who love young people in this country are often are, are training ourselves to be taught by them? So people talk about the word aesthetic, which is, you know, the opposite of aesthetic is anesthetic, which is to kind of forget how we feel, which is, I think, kind of an, an epidemic with adults. We forget, we lose sensation, and we forget how to connect with each other as human beings. And young people are the antidote to that. They are the aesthetic for love and human connection. So if nothing else, you Speaks works to preserve spaces where young people can create and also learn to connect in real, real ways and teach us to do the same. If anybody doubts the 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 first part of your answer, Mush, I, I highly encourage them to go to any public event where you speaks youth are spitting. I had the incredible honor of being able to to sit as a judge at the the youth poetry slam this last one. And from the young woman who captured every gripe my daughter has had about the girls' bathroom. <laughs> Into her no, like which I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what Jaden said. I came home like <laughs> raving to Jaden about it. To um, the the beautiful piece that the young woman did about her grandmother. Mm-hmm. To like talk about full circle, the young woman who was related to the murderist, who the, the motorist that had actually been killed mm-hmm. um, by by police, and there was a cover up. Like I remember standing on the steps of the, with that family at mm-hmm. Oakland City Hall, like mm-hmm. 
just the, the, the storytelling, the political analysis, the, mm -hmm. the heartbreak, the triumph, the resilience. It was just like, I will, I'll never forget that night and sitting next to Tongo and hitting him in the arm. Like, ah, yeah. um, <laughs> it was just so amazing. And then the other thing though, that's, that sat with me too, was there was um, another young poet um, who, who didn't win the, the slam and, but you you bring all of the right there's three rounds and and you know they know by the end of the second round you know who's going to go to the third and but then you brought everybody back on right to to listen to who the winners are and there was a one young human poet there and i could just see in their face the anguish mm. of not winning and i and i thought about how how do you how, how do you hold that mm. for your young people, right? I mean, that's the reality of life, um, and I'm I'm a sort of a hardliner about that stuff, mm -hmm. um, and and I think that I'd rather them learn those lessons in places like you speaks than you know the way it, it gets beat over their head inside of let's say the public school system. That's right. But I knew right because my heart sort of shattered. And as I was walking out, like, I knew that young person was going to be okay because I knew that there was a container for them to be held. And I'd just like you to talk about that container a little bit. Yeah. I mean, thank you for naming that. That's something that we've talked about and we've, we've explored and, you know, have taken incredibly seriously for the last 26 years. And what I want to share is that if you've never been to a Youth Speaks uh, poetry slam or a competitive forum for young people at Youth Speaks, what you're seeing in that night is an incredibly small snapshot, important and, and magnificent moment in a long trajectory of development and care that young people go through at Youth Speaks. So that night, what preceded that night was myriad workshops, very small, closed door, intimate with each of our young people, where they were able to listen to each other before their... Uh, performing even their own poems. There's something that we cultivate in community beforehand. And we tell them, look, this, you are going to get, you know, quote unquote scored, but it really isn't about the points. It is about the poetry itself. But most importantly, it's about the conversations that I hope you all and the audience at large is hearing through each of your poems. At the end of the night, we always, always have young people. Sometimes we have parents waiting out in the hallway, waiting for their, you know, their child to come out, but it takes a while because there's something that we do called the poet huddle, which has become an institutionalized practice that happens before and at the end of every single show. And it's just a closed door space for the, our mentors and our poets to talk about, you know, to remember the true purpose of tonight. We are using this kind of Olympic style scoring structure because America loves competition. As adults, you will have to experience competition. And what does it look like to understand the greater purpose when there is a structure of competition set up? It is to listen to each other, it is to never betray your own voice. It is to ne always use the energy of the poet that came before you, not to shrink in your own kind of self-doubt. You know, when a poet is celebrating, they just did an incredible job. They got tens all around in Europe next. And you're like, oh my God, my poet 
my piece can't compare to that. We always flip it and we say, this is actually a perfect setup for you to continue the story that this poet left off for you. So it really is about getting young people to understand that we are all here as poets to serve a, a greater story, which is what is the story of all of us who've been told that our stories can't be told by us and for us. See, I know it. Thank you so much for sharing that and for taking such good care of our babies. Um, Mush, it's about that time. I would love it if you would now share some of your fire with our listeners. I would be honored to, Kat. Thank you. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to share, I'm going to share something that feels like right now, um, We be a story. We be a story of a love so brave that it braids a bridge across currents of shame and silence. We be a story. We be a story of love so brave that it braids a bridge over trouble, transforms pipelines of raw oil into acres of wild alkali and birds of paradise. Meet me there in a city where we've cleansed the sky of stories that says we are better off divided. Walk me there to the sanctuary where we disrupt the mythical parable that promises safety in our separateness, where we pray in the ways that humans have always prayed for justice and joy, for stories of solidarity, for freedom. I'll walk you there. Past the cipher, past the hoop, where the bridge bends into a circle. There, there, where there is no first and no last, no end and no beginning, no middle of the bridge, the place where we have forgiven each other, where we have forgiven each other's hopes that our past could have been any different, where we stay when we would rather look away where we honor each other's rage, carry it on our journey like a pearl of great price, where the peacemakers, the healers, the restorers, the storytellers, the lovers are at last at the center of all things beautiful to us. We give thanks for the breaking that brought out the human and the hyphen, the heaven and the other. We'll know that we've arrived by the sounds of hammers and collapsing guns. When the hidden meaning of tears have no reason to run, we'll know when the most beautiful word in the human language can stand untouched. We'll feel the sheen of sweat and our delirious hearts breaking down borders and bridging a way through. We'll redesign the aisles made to divide. We will move as flesh moves with bone, speak as teeth speak with tongue, and we won't withhold our neighbor from the pain required to grow, but we also won't withhold hope. Oof, the human and the hyphen, y'all. Those are the words and the voice of the brilliant Michelle Mushley. Mush, what else are you working on right now? Where can folks follow you on the socials? What else you want the people to know? I just want to know, um, everybody, please keep tuning in and supporting to our sister Cap Brooks. 
please keep supporting KPFA. Uh, independent media is so important to the poet, to the storyteller. Um, it takes an ecosystem and a community of people that are about narratives of revolution and, and justice and love. So I want to start with that. And if anybody would like to follow, you can find me at, on Instagram, mush510 on Instagram. You are listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. This week's resistance and residence artist is writer, poet, and executive director of the world-renowned You Speaks, Michelle Mushley. Mush, thank you so much for being on the show today. It is an absolute honor. Thank you, Kat. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>